is a nice background song, isn't it? Even if it is four years old now. Well, I can't hear it very well in my end. Oh, hold on, let me press the button here then. This, that should solve it. That oh, that's I... better. Now I can hear it. I was being depressed. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's, it's all very jolly, isn't it? Mm. Anyway, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good overnight. Um, I'm Anthony. And I nearly forgot who I was. Um, um, I, I, I'm having a senile moment. Uh, it's the beginning of the podcast. What could possibly go wrong for the rest of it? Yeah. Funnily enough, actually, Ant, um, as I get older and older, I get more and more perfectionist, uh, okay. which is ridiculous. Uh, because I think a lot of people start out their lives um, probably, you know, trying to achieve all sorts of crazy stuff um, and are really self-conscious about doing that. And I don't, as I've got older, I've got more and more perfectionists. I'm, I'm actually dealing with it. I'm on yeah. it. I like it. Well, well, I wouldn't say I've ever thought you as being a perfectionist, but... Um, well, what are you saying? That I'm just slapdash and yeah. useless. Kind of. No, you no, see, no, there, not, that's, not, that's not, the voice of the perfectionist. Not not useless, I would say. Just, just I think your, your charming good looks detract away from any imperfections you may have. Um, anyway, oh, darling, um, that's so kind. welcome along to our lovely podcast. Uh, me and this JB, is where we lose half our audience, you realise, at the beginning of our... They think, what is this? Well, is this a that. global leadership podcast or some other weird thing that I've got involved with? We got rid of the live audience, didn't we? Because a lot of them used to... So for those of you that are regular <laughs> listeners to our recordings on the podcast platforms, you will know that um, this podcast has been around for four years. About just two and a bit years ago, me and JB started doing it in front of a live audience via Seedle, which is where me and JB have other business interests. And um, it's scheduled, it was scheduled on Seedle so that people could attend the webinar live when we did the recording. And then people said that, well, it's it's not a webinar. Well, no, no it's not, it's a podcast. Anyway, we got fed up of people saying, <laughs> not reading the descriptions. I thought, you know what, let's get rid of the live audience. So yeah. if you were former live audience and now founders on the recordings, then welcome to this recording. But today we have a special episode, as ever, uh, usual topics of discussion. Uh, you may recall in the last episode, we um, invited a guest on in the form of Laura to talk about mental health and leadership. Yes. And that was linked to Yacinda Arden. Interestingly, Nicola Sturgeon resigned last week, or was it just the week before, actually? Although I think before, there's a bit yeah. more to that than her claiming it's burnout. I think this recording will tell us whether my predictions are right, that there's a lot more going on in the background that we're yet to discover. Um, but... I'll say no more on that subject for fear of libel. Um, so today we have a guest again um, who joins us for the last 20 minutes. And we're going to be talking about leadership's responsibility around safeguarding in the workplace, um, which sounds a bit of an odd topic. But as we have a predominantly leadership audience, when was the last time you thought about the safety and well-being of your employees from an actually not just in the workplace, but outside and other things we should be looking out for? So we have that to look forward to in the last 20 minutes. Um, but as JB says, leadership is is also riddled with our own imposter syndrome, possibly, especially when we're hired for our technical skills and fired often for our lack of leadership skills. Um, so I guess that's a good starting point. But JB and I, have, as ever, have a couple of topics to talk about. And we also welcome your listener questions. Uh, GLP at Seedle.com or Global Leadership Podcast at gmail.com are where you can send your questions. GLP comes straight through to me, whereas I have to log on to the Gmail one, so I do prefer that one. Uh, there is one listener question which we will come to at a certain point in today's proceedings. But without further ado, JB, tell us about perfectionism then in a bit more of detail. And by the way, I have to say your top seems perfectly white today. Yes, 
Um, it's not the blue one gone into the wash in a funny way. Uh, this is my white one, which I don't wear very often. And, and i tell you why. Every time I get it on, uh, I no, that sounds right. <laughs> every time I put it on, I spill something on it. And with the blue one, uh, I can go for months and months with coffee stains and um, all sorts of, you know, grandchildren's snot and stuff, and no one really notices. Um, but with this, it's... Um, I put it on and I'm just I'm just going to be a really de- delicate flower today and not go anywhere near anything that will stain it. And that's the only thing about wearing this white. But I thought you I thought you'd appreciate it. So I put it on mainly for you really. I like it. Um, and but I have to say by the way our seedal hoodies are now navy blue the latest range for the exact same reason because our perfectionism inside does not want a little little pebble dash of tea bag mark on it or something. You can't see yes. the navy blue. And I tell you what, for the listeners who can't see Ant in his lovely, lovely blue hoodie, it's a lovely, lovely dark blue colour with a lovely white seedal logo right in the middle. And it's it's what I really like about it is that the logo is really big. I, I find it really annoying when people go to the trouble of getting some branded kit and the logo's really tiny. And I was thinking, well, mm. you know, what's the point of that? I agree. What's the point of that? I but agree. you've done really well there. Thank and you see so there, there we are. You see, I already got my critical eye is casting itself all over your body in a <laughs> in a in a funny kind of way. Squirting um, logos I, across the globe. I I I'm drawn to this um area of um perfectionism because I keep being told by my kids and my wife that I'm a perfectionist. So I'd I'd set about finding out about what it really is and what it really means. Now, uh, joking aside, uh, I like you, I don't think I'm a perfectionist. I think I have some tendencies and I do, I, do, I, str- I think it, it, it's fair to say I do strive for excellence in certain things and in certain areas, not, not everything. Um, but I grew up in an environment where making a mistake would generally end up with me being whacked around the head. Um, and I was, I think at school and at home, I was made to feel pretty stupid, really. And compounding that was the fact that I was um, pretty not severely, but but on the scale of dyslexia, pretty high up there, along with my son and my eldest daughter, we found out later. So um, years and years of, of that kind of stuff made me feel like I can't fail. And the problem with that is that if you have that fear of failure, sometimes you don't expose yourself to risk. You know, you don't expose yourself to something that might not be really, really good, and you want it to be really good, because if it's not really good, then you suffer the consequences. And I, so that is ingrained in, in, a, in a perfectionist, that you, you, know, you just, you actually, you can't, you can't fail. Um, and if you do, uh, you, can, it, it, you can shame, you, you feel shame. Um, which is which is really sad, mm. um, and 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 then in addition to that, the second part is that you feel less acceptable as an as a person. 
in your in your peer group or in your family or, or whatever you don't you don't feel good and i think that also links into that area and that you've talked about um which is feeling like an imposter like you know i can i can't i can't go into this room um because i i will be exposed to the risk of someone asking me to do something and i know inside me i i i will have to do it really 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 well uh and if i don't i'll beat myself up i don't need anyone else doing it now i'll just beat myself up uh, so the consequences of of that sort of behavior for a leader um is twofold one is that that leader can be, feel very isolated depressed uh locked into their own world into their own inadequacy um and it's a a very very highly anxious state that's where the leader ends up if they if they have uh perfectionistic tendencies um and also guess what else happens they start expecting other people to be perfectionists too in their team and you can imagine uh a a team that is perfectionist you know a, a culture of perfectionism is actually a non-learning um team it, it they can't learn because they can't make mistakes and the and the leader won't allow them to so it's actually you know there there is no good in perfectionism so pe- people have as i've been doing my research on this and talking to people about it um but but surely perfectionism you know that it's not all bad you know you could you could actually benefit from someone who is a perfectionist for example someone uh in air traffic control uh or a brain surgeon and i think that's quite an interesting thought really because i'm pretty sure in both those situations um both the air traffic controller and the brain surgeon will have situations where they've had to go off grid and create a new protocol a new way of doing things and i do know that from from the brain surgery world not that i'm a brain surgeon but um christabel knows one um and that's my wife by the way and you know there are occasions where they have to take really really big risks and they have to live with that risk that they took because sometimes it doesn't always work that's my opening gambit it's a it's a well thank you very much and our hours up ladies and gentlemen and join us next week um, <laughs> so i i think you make a, a, some really valid points there and and as you're talking as you you do it it provides thinking opportunity and provokes thoughts in my mind i'm sure in the listeners minds too <clears throat> now perfectionist perfectionism in my mind i so i go towards risk rather than mm. away from risk yet i would argue that i probably am not a perfectionist because as long as it looks good i'm happy with that yeah but i get really really fidgety ask anyone in that i work with probably you included if i think that our reputations at risk at all yes so whilst i'll take risks and it might be chaotic you know in other words what it looks like on the outside to others needs to be really really polished like the car the outside of the car can be really shiny but i don't care if you, as long as you don't look through, you can't look through the windows i don't care how much rubbish is in the footwells to be quite but what about under the bonnet i mean that that that's all presumably got to be working perfectly hasn't it well it it has to as, as long as it can get us 
to the cruising speed and it's safe, then then I'm okay with that. But it has to look shiny. And it's funny, isn't it? Because you could argue, you know, so a perfectionist wouldn't put a private plate on their car. They just keep buying brand new cars. Whereas someone like me would probably buy an old car, put a private plate on it to give the perception it's newer than it is. <laughs> um, so it, it, it's bizarre. And, and I think what's interesting is I know that I have um, one of my children is probably not a perfectionist, but goes away from doing anything new because doesn't want to do it or seem silly. I don't want to be stupid. I think I am stupid. Uh, I don't want other people think I'm yeah. stupid. So I guess that that is also a consideration too. What's interesting is, I guess, if we put it through the leadership lens for a moment, because of course this podcast is all about people leadership, is that I think as JB's alluded to, if we are at risk of being a perfectionist, which could be hinder other people, then that's where it can become a problem. I don't think I see many leaders that are a perfectionist in their leadership qualities. It's more likely that there were previously a perfectionist in their subject area, and now they're managing and supervising other people to get to the same standards. Now, when we talk about your analogy of brain surgery, then absolutely there needs to be a degree of, of absolute consistency and quality in that. Um, but I am also all too aware in our world that we live in now with constant change and uncertainty being the normal, then actually can we always be, can we, you know, I think any perfectionist will burn out in a business. I've seen, and um, I'm trying to think about how I can say the name to you without actually saying it. I might type it in the chat box in a second. Yeah. And this lady was an exceptional leader in HR and she ended up having pretty much a breakdown because she was trying to make her world perfect, have a team yeah. doing exactly what she did and having all the things that were to be expected of a HR function being rated as excellent by the organization in six months. It was impossible because the organization in question was incredibly disorganized. It was growing a bit too fast for it to be controlled, be sustainable. And things were, it was building a plane mid-flight, but actually there wasn't enough aviation fuel in there in the first place. So, Well, at least it got to mid-flight. I mean, a perfectionist, if, if the plane was 80% flyable, uh, there's no way that flying plane's going to go up. But actually, you know, if you watch enough sort of war films and, um, you know, kind of c catastrophic um, focused films, for want of a better word, um, they... You know, often the plane is taking off when half the engine's blown off, or you know, you've got to yes, you've got to be able to you've got to be able to take it. You've got to take that plane up. Um, and I, whilst we're on planes, and huh. uh, I one thing that I found from my little bit of research on this is a is a tendency for the perfectionist to want to um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it. I'm gonna fly away from things. To, to to go towards something else. And I think you can notice this in, you know, a leader who can't deal with uh, the facing up to and the dealing with the thing that they really need to tackle because they their, their, their idea is that it has to be perfect. So they run away from it. They go away from it and they they then plan to go towards something else. So that that collision, if if that sounds a bit weird, isn't it? When you're moving away from something and going towards another thing, mm. 
that towards the other thing and that moving away from is not dealing with the problem. You know, the, the, problem, the problem is that they are creating a perfectionist environment uh, that is impossible. You cannot create uh, a perfection. You cannot create a perfectionist environment. It's, it's impossible. Well, you can create the environment, but it's never going to work. Um, what, so in terms, I know you've obviously got a bit more science behind this or art and a bit of both. Yeah. Um, and I know you're doing some work around perfectionism at the yeah. moment. Um, as a leader, for example, then, what what sort of things do I need? What what level of perfectionism do I need? And if I am a perfectionist, how do I, if, if it isn't perfection that I need to strive for, how do I mitigate that if I'm a perfectionist? Well, get so so um we we don't we don't want any perfectionism. You know, perfection perfectionism is not a good thing. Pursuit of excellence, in your case, which is I think what you are about and what I am about. Uh, we want excellence in in what we do, in what we deliver, uh, in our reputation, in our brand, and and I think built into that pursuit of excellence is an understanding that you're going to fly at a hundred miles an hour into something when you've got 70, 60, 70 percent of the information that you need, you've got fifty percent of the team that you need, but is that going to hold you back from doing it? No. Um, because actually, in your mind, you're still going for excellence. You're gonna you're gonna get to excellence. You you are in the business of pursuing an excellent situation, an excellent outcome. And that language uh, with a with a team is very powerful in building the trust that you need. And what's that trust about? It's the trust and the safety, which is interesting that we're going on to talk about safety at work, um, where mistakes can be made. Uh, what we don't want is a leader who says failure is not an option. Mm-hmm. That, that doesn't create the conditions for people to innovate and to feel that they have their own opportunity to create excellence. You know, you, you know how many times in a business, you have to fail before you succeed. Yes, true. You know, succeeding is about most of most of most of your success, I think uh it's fair to say, has had a few failures along the way. And I I, I speak personally too, you know, there's many, many things that just haven't worked. And I think the the trick is to know when to 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 say enough is enough already. <laughs> This this part of our our business is not working, um, but I'm 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 very clear about my my purpose here. Um, and if you hear people in your team uh, saying, uh, you know, I'm I'm just not good enough, I'm not good enough for this, you know, you, you, there, there's some sort of perfectionism kicking in, and that person that you mentioned, the HR person. Uh, who I also know, how stressed, yeah. how how anxious. She had to take quite a lot of time out of work because I I'd imagine she went into you know quite a lot of depression depression with that anxiety. And she's wonderful, mm. fantastic person, and a great operator. But unfortunately, it was all too much because she couldn't reach the dizzy heights of a perfect. Perfect is. Um, 
you know, un, un, unachievable. You know, it, it's just unachievable, but it's it's massively depressing for people who are trying to achieve it in roles like that. Um, I, I, I've realised there is a question from last podcast we didn't answer, and ironically it links quite nicely into perfectionism. So remind me of this in a minute before we have one for this week, but there's one we didn't do last week. But briefly, JB, I, yeah. I, I guess perfectionism then is almost a fixed mindset because you and I talk about fixed and dynamic yes, mindsets you're, quite you're a lot. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. And whilst <clears throat> a perfectionist arguably is looking for the ultimate thing um they seem unwavering on understanding and, and jb and i've been doing some work with another client at the moment around resilience uh, and understanding that resilience also means sometimes we need to be okay with with variations of of what needs to happen so so you know resilience is one thing we, we you know we, we're coming back time and time again but actually sometimes we need to work out how we can do things a bit differently because we're not going to get there otherwise and I suspect the perfectionists wouldn't allow there to be any other way because unless it's perfect, they don't want to know. Um, and I guess you can see that in some behaviours of chefs, celebrity chefs in particular, oh, yeah. maybe. Um, anyway, um, JB, um, so um, the question that came in from last time um, <clears throat> was, um, I'm a new leader. What are the most important qualities a leader should, should, should possess and how can I cultivate these qualities in my direct reports? It, it, it feels a little bit perfectionist, doesn't it? Cultivate, well, I suppose, is a more long-term view than produce, yeah. replicate. Well, I'd so I I think all leaders um, should pursue excellence. I do, I I think perfection. If you, if if you're going for perfection. Uh, stop it. <laughs> um, and do you know? I, I think sometimes I we've we found this. There's there's this completely unattainable unattainable share price, this unattainable revenue target, and it's like for everyone that looks perfect. That's perfect. That's brilliant. But it's completely unachievable. And sometimes maybe rather than getting to position A, we have to accept that getting to position B is a good starting point. Mm. You know, let's let's get let's get to base camp two. Uh and and maybe we have to give people a little bit of um air cover to get to base camp two when the expectation is to get to base camp A. And some of the stuff that I found out about, which was quite interesting interesting uh and this is for kids who are um bombarded with perfect messages on social media perfect images of themselves you know what i mean yeah um so we we are creating cultures where where people are expected to be better than perfect and there's no such there's no such thing as perfect so we've got to take that out of our language and actually be consistent as leaders around innovation, around achievement, around um, what I would call, you know, the, the controlled explosions uh, of learning, you know, where, where you give people the opportunity to cock it up, mm. but not so much that it's going to damage anyone else or the business, but try new stuff. Try, try some new learning things. And the, the other thing, uh, in in that consistency is is change your language 
towards the habits of your people. And what habits are you looking for? And get used to talking to people. I like that habit that you're forming there. I want to support it. And sometimes those little habits can be tiny little, tiny little habits. And I've used the example of going to B rather than A. So, you know, it's thinking about that in terms of your business. How do you consistently talk to your people uh, if they are in that kind of perfectionist mode, for example, just bringing that in? You know, how do you get them to go for B rather than A, go for silver rather than gold on this occasion? You know, maybe you'll get to gold now and again. Maybe that will happen. But the moment you take that pressure off and you create the culture, consistent culture like that, um, that's gonna that's gonna really help. I, the other thing is to is to be hugely empathetic, um, to put yourself in your people's shoes. And Ant and I use, and I, we've mentioned it on the podcast many times. And it's the know me, focus me, value me um, part of being a leader. Uh, you know, going through the offices or on Zooms or whatever, uh, you, you need to know your people. You need you need to know their name, and you need to know roughly what they're doing in the business. Uh, you, you have to understand what's important for them to be focused on right now. Uh, you you need to know a little bit about you know their background and what's going on in their world. So so know me, people people need to be known. Uh, they also need to be focused towards that learning uh, that motivates them. Not too much, not too little. That optimal learning, that optimal uh, work that they can do. Uh, and I, th I think all, all of those things, along with value, value your people, show them that you value them. And that's about good, regular, authentic uh, recognition for the efforts that they are making every day, every week, whatever it happened to make it your business uh, to go out of your way to, to recognize people so that's a you know that's really caring, showing that you care about your people, um, being honest, uh, being an honest leader, uh, candid, really candid with your people, and it, and if there's something that you can't talk to them about now, tell them that I can't talk to you about this, but the moment I can, I will. Um, so being being really candid about things, and just being really really good, uh, generally, uh, and doing what's right for the business, do your job and do it well, but don't be a bloody perfectionist. Uh, just strive for excellence. Um, I think this might be a good opportunity to bring in this week's question because I, I reading it, I kind of think, Oh, actually there is, there's some, some stuff that this is links to perfectionism. Um, thank you to Jamie, who has sent this one in uh, from the UK, I believe. Uh, their .co.uk and their email address, so I can only presume so. Um, how do you foster a culture of innovation and risk-taking within teams or the organisation? Huh. And what successful examples of this have you seen in your experience? Well, so I, it, it, I, I won't say much about it because I think I've just said quite a lot to do with that subject, but... Mm. Um, it's the four C's for me always. And, you know, the four C's are, are about being capable in your job. That's the day job. And to me, that's a little bit more about doing what's right for the business and making sure that you are accurate in your objective setting, uh, your forecasting, your KPIs. That's the day job. We've got to do that and we've got to be good at that. Um, and the other thing 
is the uh, the caring. Uh, never ever underestimate the importance of caring to create the safety conditions where people feel that they can be challenged in a very good way. Um, the other part is candid, being really honest with people at all times, never sweeping things under the carpet, dealing with it quickly uh, and timely. And uh, the other thing is being consistent, not being Jekyll and Hyde in your work. Just be a really good, solid, consistent leader with consistent messages that fit with the purpose uh, of the business, that, that, that relates to the stakeholders in the business, the experience of uh you know whether it's whether it's the the shareholder the supplier the customer the employee be consistent around all of your messaging um and the way that you turn up with 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 integrity uh with intent and um you know with 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 a good honest way of being so those those are the four c's so so there's consistent caring candor and uh I've done them all. Caring, consistent, candor, and <laughs> caring, consistent, caring, candor. consistent, candor, and capable. Capable. I thought it was conjunctive. Which is the one I started with. Yes. Right. Okay. So those those Ironic, are your four really. Yeah, we're totally <laughs> incapable and totally imperfect. So there we go. That that wraps it up beautifully from the beginning to the end of perfection for me. Um, okay, so for my answer on this question, how do you foster a culture of innovation and risk-taking within your team and organisation? What examples have you seen in your experience? Um, I'm going to quote a former CEO of mine that I used to work for, and um, his words were, um, beg for forgiveness rather than asking for permission. Yeah. <clears throat> and I quite liked that. Um, I'm not sure my boss, who was in between me and the chief executive, was as fond of that because I'd say, well, that's what such and such said. <laughs> um, so sorry about that. Um, but um, I have seen lots of innovation from people and I, and I think quotes like that are quite useful. Um, so I think if you're, if you're looking to create a culture of innovation with a little hint of risk taking, um, I think an organization doesn't want there to be too much exposure to risk, but <clears throat> I like the metaphor of sometimes you have to put people on a red run so they can realize their own potential, even if they might fall over and hurt themselves, because once they've been in it, then they realize actually this isn't as bad as I thought. Um, so in fact, I've got someone in my team just last week. She's never done a webinar before, but she's a subject matter expert in something. And um, we put her on the red run. We said, you're doing this. We told her when she first started, she's going to do it. She's been with us five months now, and it was now the time was to do it. Um, so we pushed her to take a risk. And I guess, ironically, linked to perfectionism, we talked about earlier, there was an anxiety. If I don't get tens or all rating me as excellent, what's that going to say about my credibility? Uh, and lo and behold, uh, she did the webinar and she got a 100% recommendation rate. Um, so there you go. You do these things. So I think with that, though, there was permanently a crash mat underneath her when we put her on the red run. At yeah. no point did she feel that she was going to die as a result of going on the red run. We had done enough precautions in place that she was protected. And I think um, another series of statements that me and JB use in webinars is is airspace, airtime, air you know, air cover. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> the air cover, I think, is important. That there is 
ultimately, I'm right behind you if you fall. I'll catch you. And I think if you can give people that sense, that's okay. Um, the other things you can do is if they're nervous about taking risks is maybe even say to them, you've got 49% of the responsibility here. I'm carrying the 51% if it goes wrong. What would you do on that basis then? Mm. And simple things like that, I do think can help people feel a bit more safe if they want to take risks. Um, and I do think you've got to think about this at the moment. You know, Nokia probably didn't take risks or innovate in the noughties. And lo and behold, Apple came along and ate up their picnic in 12 months. Yeah, Google completely stuffed the telephone directory business in a year. Because instead of me going and looking through my paper-based directory, I could now type in a term of what I wanted and where I wanted it and upcome results that are as fresh as they were when they were last searched. And now along comes AI. And Absolutely. How disruptive, how disruptive that is going to be yeah. to all of those names that you've just mentioned, actually. Completely agree. And I think, therefore, I, I think it is worth talking to your people, your organization, about the risk of not doing innovation. There are far greater risks by doing nothing than doing something. Um, so using the four C's, using airtime, airspace, air cover, uh, using um, examples and metaphors to explain to your people the importance of innovation and the risk of doing nothing um, is important. And I think all of those things combined could well possibly um, give you a real sense of, of people wanting to take those risks. Ironically, it all seems to loop in quite nicely with perfectionism, doesn't it? Because... If, well, you've got, if you've got a team or a business full of perfectionists, I suspect innovation, unless you're there, if they're already in that safe space, the willingness to try anything different, nah, this is perfect. Perfectionists don't take risks. They no. don't take risks. If you said to um, a perfectionist, innovate or evaporate, they'd evaporate. They wouldn't be out of cope. You know? So if, if there's any kind of tendency like that in you, or in your team, uh, you know, we, we need to convert that into, into the pursuit of excellence rather than perfectionism, because it will harm you, it'll harm your business, uh, because, you know, the, the right sort of risks uh, will not be taken. They won't innovate. Yeah. So um, hopefully, uh, Jamie, that gives you some good ideas. Um, for me, examples of innovation have been in businesses that have had to reinvent themselves. Sadly, since me and JB worked in radio, and here's, that's another good example, I'll just give you in a second, actually. Um, I would say the organizations I've worked with didn't, aren't innovating particularly quickly, um, but the mechanisms in which they delivered their content to clients were innovative, you could argue. Um, I think digital transformation is happening in so many businesses right now. But um, another example of, of innovation and risk-taking um, in the noughties, commercial radio, along with telephone directories, actually, are probably at the forefront of people's advertising budgets mind. If you're a local business, the only way to get your business in front of local people would be to have an advert in the telephone directory, have a newspaper advert, <clears throat> maybe some very expensive billboard advertising or leaflets or radio. <clears throat> so relatively limited choice. And you paid and took the risk with that payment for the advertising, hoping it was going to work. Along came Google and other search engines 
and now took away the advertising revenue because you were only paying them for results. You paid them for clicks. <gasps> so the advertising mechanism of which me and JB worked in was all of a sudden at risk. Alongside that, the way humans habitually listened to music in their cars and homes was also radically changing. FM and AM were the only ways you could listen to music as a broadcasted mechanism, or maybe through free view television, so like a digital kind of digital TV signal, because there was a bit more choice with music television becoming a bigger thing. But that wasn't really comparable to us because people wanted to listen to music, but also hopefully local information. The problem was, is that the radio stations habitually would only play the same 30 or 40 songs. Because if you're only listening for an hour a day, they want you to hear those songs. You think, ah, oh, it's a brilliant track. And then, of course, the presenters got a bit bored of it. But nonetheless, all of a sudden, innovation meant that an iPod arrived or an MP3 player arrived and your favourite 150 songs were now on your phone or on an iPod and they could plug into your car. Oh, so we were now fighting for listeners and we were fighting for advertising revenue. And therefore... There had to be innovation. There had to be risk-taking for those organizations to survive. And I hate to say it, where the directories companies went wrong is they became protective of the money they did know they had. So another mm. example, JB, is that, no surprise, the biggest, most profitable heading in a phone directory back in its day was the insurance heading. Obviously, plumbers and all the other things, but an insurance direct line would take an advert in every directory, full page, pay to be towards the front. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, and ironically, one of those directory companies I'm, I used to work for, they then developed a price comparison system, which would allow you to put in all your details and it then would send out those bits of information to all the computer systems of all the different insurance companies and bring back all their pricing rather than you have to ring around them all. Well, that sounds pretty good. So what did they do with that? They decided that it wasn't the right business model for them because they didn't want to lose the print income and they, they they gave the software away. That's very, very silly. And we know where the go comparisons <laughs> and compare yeah. the markets are now and we know where the directory companies are now. So I, I think hopefully what we're getting across here, Jamie, is that I think you need to convey the cost of doing nothing or the risk of doing nothing. And I think also for anyone that's listening that had the perfectionist stuff resonating with them, hopefully off the back of that, you've kind of got some thoughts that you can bring to the table. JB, anything to wrap up that piece on that answer? No, I, I think um, I think that gives it quite a lot of welly from, a, from an organisational perspective and also from a team's perspective uh, where perfectionism really doesn't fit in uh, with being able to take risks in organisations and as individuals and in teams, and how we how we really need to combat that um, kind of uh, way of being. You know, pursuit of excellence is excellent. Uh, perfectionism uh, is not so good. Now, while um, we've been talking, um, our guest of honour has arrived for the last twenty minutes of our podcast Yay! recording today. Um, she's she's currently on mute because I <laughs> I locked the mute in case she came in and started swearing because we know she's a real swearer. So let me press a button now, which <laughs> gives her permission to unmute herself. Hello, Vicky. Good afternoon, um, good afternoon, JB. Hi, Vicky. Introduction there, um. That was very professional. Good, good afternoon, JB. Good afternoon, Anthony. Good afternoon. Um, yeah, I thought I was at the I thought I was at a cricket match for a minute. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, anyway, so for those um, that listen to this podcast um, that haven't met Vicky before, I'll let her do an introduction in a moment. Um, but um, we wanted to devote some of the last section of our podcast today talking about the role that leaders have in safeguarding of their people. Because I sense, and I'm sure Vicky will tell us a lot more about it than, than me and JB know, but I sense at the moment perhaps there isn't enough responsibility or accountability on line managers in business to, to look out for the well-being of their people and then what they need to do if they do think that there is something going missing. So we thought we'd invite Vicky on. So it's quite a sensitive topic, but we'll try and make it as lighthearted as possible, as me and JB always do. Um, but first of all, JB, I must tell you that Vicky, um, she did her first webinar last week, didn't you, Vicky? I certainly did. And how was, was that for you? Or was it was it excellent? Was it excellent? Um, I was mildly concerned before how it would pan out, but actually it was really successful and it, it was um, a great first module to deliver for CEDAW. So I was quietly pleased. Fantastic. Brilliant. Yeah, there we go. Um, so, Vicky, um, first question then. Um, I was about to say, what is perfectionism? We've just covered that topic. <laughs> um, what What is um, safeguarding in its truest sense uh, in the world that you've come from? And then... Um, perhaps me and JB can kick around the topic a bit more. Mm, absolutely. So fundamentally, safeguarding is um, something that's been placed in order to keep children, vulnerable adults, and really anyone that works in a workplace or enters any environment, whether it be a gym, a social club, a pub, it keeps them safe. And it's looking out for the well-being of those people, but the best of the well-being as well. Um, Safeguarding is quite often assumed to just be surrounded by children, and that is really not the case. And I think we're rapidly learning now that actually it is vital that safeguarding is in the workplace and it is almost in every place of um, entity that you can go into, leisure centres, pubs, uh, nurseries, dentists, everywhere you go there should be an element of safeguarding. And it's really now about driving that and making people more aware of actually what it is, why it's there, and what we can do to help everyone around us to make sure we're all touching on safeguarding in some way, shape or form. Um, I'll let I, love the, I, love the, uh, I love the fact that you introduced the idea of safeguarding in the pub. Um, one, for two, for two reasons, actually. One is that I was in the pub on Saturday watching the rugby and got well into it. Um, and probably need the safeguarding by my wife, which is good, and that did happen. But I'm not. I'm not making a joke of it because um, my landlord um, is fabulous about safeguarding. And in his, in the gents' loo and in the ladies' loo, uh, there is a poster, and on it uh, is the name of. It, it's a fictitious name, but it's a name mm -hmm. that you call mm -hmm. if you feel that you are being uh, abused in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, and the pub is a des designated safe place for anybody to come if they are uh, in danger in, in any way, shape or form. And Jim is really, really tight on it. And it doesn't matter whether you're a man, a woman, whatever you happen to be, it doesn't matter. You can go there and, and be safe. So I'm glad you raised the point about pub. Yeah, absolutely, JB. And do you know what? That, that's an amazing um, stance to have from your landlord because I haven't seen that in, 
I, I mean, I'm not saying that I frequent pubs all the time, but the the limited I amount do, I've I been do. in, <laughs> the limited amount I've been in, I haven't seen such a thing. So that's amazing. And if your landlord landlady is taking that stance, then actually it really does ring true that every place should be a safe place, regardless of if it's a nightclub, a hospital, um, your church, wherever you go, you should be entering a safe place. And that that DSL, so that uh, that uh, direct safeguarding leader should be there and should be representing, not maybe physically all the time, but something should be in place as a designated safeguarding officer to confirm that actually we have got policies in place. And this is the reason why. So there's, there's quite a lot. Um, sorry, Anne. I was just going to mention one other thing, and then I'll shut up. Um, there's there's quite a lot in the press about um, coercive control. Mm-hmm. Uh, does how, to what extent does that happen in work? I wonder. You would be incredibly surprised, JB. And I think something that opened my eyes five years ago is that. Um, Perhaps where we live is slightly more affluent than some areas in the country. And naively, to some extent, I assumed that, and I'm talking about school here, and I I assumed that the the children that attended this school were of a a fairly privileged background. Um, And from working in this local school, I came to realise that really was not the case. Um, And it made me open my eyes to a lot of things. And, And one of those being that actually... It doesn't matter regardless of where you live, where you work, how how much money you're surrounded by, how little money you're surrounded by. It can happen anywhere and it really does happen anywhere. And it happens a lot more than we are speaking about even now. Yeah. So yeah, um, it's bad. I'm a line manager in an organisation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if we are saying that we all need to be a bit more responsible for looking out for the well-being and safety of our people... What sort of behaviours do we need to be looking out for of our people where we think, you know, and then, by the way, the follow-up question is how do we then breach the subject with them if they feel that they're safe Hmm. to talk to us about it? Absolutely, and it's a good question, Anne. It's it's really hard sometimes in an established workplace, I think, to perhaps come in as somebody who is potentially a safeguarding officer, safeguarding lead. Um, But as a leader... I think the most fundamental thing, and we spoke about this in the webinar last week, is is looking for those triggers. And that really is a word that we need to look at, a trigger, red flag, all those sort of synopsis where we're sat there thinking, you know, perhaps um, Margaret came in last Monday and she just didn't seem quite herself. You know, she's hiding away. Um, she, She doesn't want to engage socially, perhaps she was due to be on holiday and perhaps her hol- she's cancelled her holiday. She wants to be in work. She's always wanted her holidays before. What, what, what's going on? You know, there's sometimes there's the smallest of thing that can lead to a bigger picture. Um, and we were speaking about the fact that actually writing those things down confidentially can sometimes build a bigger picture. And it really is fundamental to look at those, those small isolated cases, perhaps looking at their sickness. Why are they always off on Mondays and Tuesdays? You know, and yet they come in Wednesday and they seem to be fine. What, what is going on there? Um, just looking at the bigger picture sometimes when you've put all those small pieces of the puzzle together makes you realize okay i think we have a problem here and how and was it how we effectively manage that is that what you were saying well if we're noticing margaret's coming in the wrong mm-hmm. you know there's a pattern emerging or we're mm-hmm. seeing some behaviors changing what's what are the first steps we should take because clearly what we don't want is margaret to shut down thinking no 
Absolutely. there's a before you know i i suspect there needs to be the right safe culture in place in the first place assuming all those things are happening um you know uh, difficult conversations might mm. not be my skill set but i'm aware of something and i want to try and work out what i do what would those what would those Absolutely. first things be i think and again another great question and I, I think Thanks. fundamentally if you do not have um a safeguarding officer a well-being officer in place and you're noticing things as a line manager then I think the first thing to do depending on relationship and this really is dependent on each and every individual no two people will react the same um it's unpicking it and you unpick it like a story you start at the beginning you know Margaret how are you you know try and keep it light try and keep it jovial now obviously if they're distressed it's a situation where perhaps if you've got the facility meeting room, a breakout room, something like that, you catch up with them. You have a 10 minute catch up. It's really important when you're trying to unpick a situation that you don't sit there and immediately almost attack. You know, what's wrong? Tell me what's wrong. I haven't really got time for this today, but I've noticed that, it, you know, really sitting there and having that empathy, having that, that smile on your face, that calm persona and having open speech starting with a nice question of how are you i wonder if you can tell me how your weekend was those nice open-ended questions will lead mm. hopefully into some sort of disclosure and it may be something trivial it may lead to something big and i think it's always important to note at that point when you have got somebody in and you are worried that there could potentially be an issue just brace yourself that there could be something heavy come from the back of that. Because, And I have seen this firsthand when somebody somebody hasn't expected something to be said and they've gone, <gasps> you know, that sort of gasp of, oh, no, or, oh, gosh, that's awful. You know, that sort of, those words kind of need to be suppressed for afterwards and, and just really sitting there and saying, I'm really sorry you feel that way or I'm so sorry this has happened to you. Just preparing yourself and they will mirror their behaviour from how you are. If you are calm and have empathy with them, you will, they will trust you more and they will learn to trust you more. And having that trust as a line manager, as a manager, as a well-being officer, whoever you are, if, you, if, if people feel that trust with you, they will speak to you. It may take time, but they will speak to you. If you're a small organisation um, and therefore a mental wellness officer or a wellness officer or, a, you know, how do we go about identifying somebody that can be the designated safeguarding person? What sort of things um, do you need to do to bring that? So really what you want to look at is somebody who sits in the team nicely, sits in the team comfortably, who you can go, is your go-to person. You know, I know that I can rely on that person to turn up to that meeting. I know that I can tell this person something very, very confidential about the company and actually it will go no further I know that I have that trust in that person to fulfill the role they need to do and it's really looking at um and we have them in all walks of life but you'll have characters you know in your office or perhaps in your friendship group where you say oh god don't say anything but and you know that in two minutes that's gone right round the circle and it's back to where it started but perhaps in a Chinese whispered way those sorts of people probably aren't your the best for an organisation that is small. You need somebody trustworthy, somebody who wears a smile and somebody who is um, okay with the pressure that potentially could come from that job. We were talking earlier uh, about perfectionism, Vicky, and, mm. you know, how that might present 
itself in in certain people in your team and you know we we know that they're going to probably be quite anxious individuals um they may well be expecting other people to be perfect around them as well yeah um and they will be doing a very good job of beating themselves up that it's it's not getting there um so you you've got things like that i guess and then a really good friend of mine, actually, who will remain nameless, uh, he uh, was taken out of work uh, about four months ago uh, because he wasn't responding to emails. And he told me that the reason he wasn't responding to emails is because the email um, inbox for him became so toxic even friends sending a really nice email, it was still to him, his filter had mm-hmm. gone into this toxic mm-hmm. mode. And he, so he, could, he just couldn't go near email. And it was actually really important. He's quite a senior person. And um, this, this became very, very difficult for him. So, so, you know, obviously he's missing in action because he's not responding to his emails. But maybe if he'd been picked up earlier... Mm-hmm. and a conversation had been had, he wouldn't have gone into such a, a low point yeah. um, and had to be taken out of work and being unproductive. And that's, you know, from a business point of view, that's, you know, you, you, there is that side of it. But also from a human perspective, he's a lovely bloke. And I, it, it breaks my heart that he yeah, did up course. in that situation because he's highly effective, highly brilliant, massively dynamic, but something triggered, uh, a red line, um happened a red flag as you describe it and it, it was it was too late he he kind of and, went missing in action and i guess there's a couple of points to pick up on from that jb and i'm cred- incredibly sorry to hear about your friend because i think firstly and foremost it's really important we go back to what we said earlier on about making notes of the small things yeah that's the one because they sometimes you don't see it. And when you're writing it, you're keeping a record of it, regardless if it's electronic or paper, as long as it's confidential, you might think, you know, oh, so-and-so, you know, Chris in another team sort of said to me, look, for goodness sake, you know, I'm waiting for a response on this and I've still not had anything. Oh, you know, everyone's busy and, and sort of preparing it. Having that log, and it's not about sort of stalking somebody. It's about keeping a log of things to see if there is patterns. Because yes. actually, if someone had have noticed perhaps four weeks before that yeah. there was limited communication, there could have been that chat of, how are you? Yeah, are you exactly. okay? But also something to pick up there. And you highlighted it quite well. It's really important that a safeguarding officer, safeguarding leader, if there's only one, and I always recommend that we have at least two, but if there is only one, that they are not senior management. There, I've seen this time and time again, oh, yeah, where good. senior management feel that they can't possibly open up, can't possibly have a safeguarding or a welfare issue because they're at the top. Yeah. They have to be running on full steam the whole time. And if I tell everyone I'm not doing well, then everyone knows that I'm failing at my job. So it's so important that we have, even in a small organisation, if you have the facility to have multiple people, there is A, there's multiple choice of who to speak to and go to, but B, there gives you that hierarchy, that level of 
it's okay for somebody who's perhaps at the bottom of that skill set to not be okay, but also somebody at the top not to be okay. And that's that's really important to have that facility to be able to do that. And also, I think also something that I, I recognise in some of the organisations that we've worked with in the past, um, don't just delegate it to HR. No. Don't just, just, don't just make it an HR thing. Do you know what I mean? No. And actually, sometimes you'll find that HR is so overwhelmed most of the time. Yeah. They don't have the facility to cope with it. And it yeah. really is important to ha- just have a look at your workforce, regardless of their skill set. They might work on the factory floor, but they might be a really good listener. Mm. And that's perfect. That is the perfect person for this kind of situation and this kind of role. Um, final question for me, Vicky. Um, those that are interested in the subject, I know you have a webinar that you're going to be scheduling more of. What can yes. um, people expect to learn on your webinar if they were to attend it? Okay, so what we're looking at doing in the next safeguarding module is splitting it into two parts. And that the first part will be an overview of safeguarding and what it is, what it stands for, why it's important. The second part is how we would implement it. So you're kind of going to look at two parts here. And they're both as important as one another, because if we don't have the understanding of safeguarding, we can't implement it well. We can't implement it without knowing. So 